This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And hello, and this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales, with Rob and Mob, or Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. And I'm Mob. This is our 17th episode. So, um, I think we're, we're about a quarter of the way through the journey now. Yes, and we're here still in the Antipodes, though, aren't in, we? In the Antipodes, in the Antipodes. So, of course, if we say, uh, where are we now... Um, we are in Melbourne, um, as per usual, um, in beautiful Blackburn South on a uh, lovely sunny uh, summer's day. And um, at this stage, um, yeah, February the 10th of um, both uh, of 1865, the Shenandoah was also in Melbourne. Uh, probably, um, I suspect Williamstown might be about 30, 30 kilometres uh, away from, from, from where we are now. But... Um, uh, a couple of days ago, on February the seventh, seventh. Thank you very much, Michael. Of uh, 1865, the um, officers of the Shenandoah went up to Ballarat, which is about I don't know, Michael, 100 miles, 160 kilometres out of Melbourne. It is. It's to the north, and it's uh, a very famous place for two things. Yep. One is gigantic quantities of gold were found there, so much so that about 10 years before the Shenandoah came. Ships that pulled into uh, Hobson's Bay, often their crews weren't allowed off the ship because they'd immediately uh, jump ship and run off to the diggings. And, and run off to the gold fields. Um, although even if, if they weren't allowed off the ship, sometimes they were just uh, desert by main force. Uh, and the other course, there was a terrible problem in Melbourne at that time because uh, Melbourne was a, quite a, yeah, a small town, but um, it was the, the capital of, of Victoria. Um, the servants, the, the, the servants would run off to the diggings as well. And uh... mm. the other thing it's famous for in Australian history is something called the Eureka Stockade. Yes, and this had also happened uh, about ten years before the crew of the Shenandoah visited, and that was Australia's own vague attempt at a uh, at a civil insurrection, a, a civil rebellion. Didn't quite break out into civil war, but the miners objected to the idea they had to uh it was a it was a no taxation without representation type uh, it, it was dispute. Very, it was very much a no taxation without representation. Uh what uh um as as with any with any gold rush, um most of the people who, who rushed up to, to Ballarat did not get much gold. Uh, and some, of course, got quite enormous amounts of gold. Uh, but the uh, the government of the day uh, brought in a gold mining licence, uh, which was to cost a pound, which was uh, an enormous amount of, you know, a, a large amount. Particularly of if you hadn't found any gold P- yet. Particularly if you hadn't found any gold, you, you were in trouble if you, um, if you needed to pay a pound. Um, so uh, in 1854... Um, uh, when, when they when they tried to bring in this mining license, um, uh, I think a few hundred miners, probably some thousands of miners, were sympathisers. But a few hundred miners actually created a, a stockade, 
Um, and I actually went went by the site of the Eureka Stockade uh, when we were coming uh, coming back from Ballarat on the weekend. And they, they built a very pretty stockade out of bluestone, and uh, they have cannon there. And in fact, if the miners had had anything like that at, at, at the time, I think their insurrection might have been uh, a lot more successful. Uh, and there's a memorial with the names of the, the 30 or 40 people, um, miners, who died. Um, I'm not sure if any soldiers died. I, I think there, there were six. Six, six. Okay, so there, 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 there were deaths on both sides. Um, so the, the miners created their, stock, their stockade and... Um, and the, the insurrection failed. The insur- well, yes. But the government did backtrack and they dropped the idea of having this, uh, this, this tax in the end. So, so yeah, I think, I think overnight, I think the soldiers quite sensibly uh, let the miners um, stay in the stockade um, overnight where I believe uh, much, uh, much rum was, was drunk and also I think actually probably more brandy and water in those days... Um, and also, gradually, um, the less enthusiastic miners kind of uh, disappeared under cover of, uh, of darkness. And then in the morning, they sent in the redcoats. And uh, yeah, there was uh, as, uh, you know, 30 or 40 dead on the, the miner side and uh, six dead on the soldier side. And Peter Laylor, who was the leader of the miners' revolt, uh, he was badly wounded. He lost an arm. And in... I think typical Australian fashion, he later became a pillar of the community, was elected to state parliament in Melbourne and became a crusty old conservative. Uh, so. That was after getting off um, being charged with high treason. Yes, and, and, and he, he did get off uh, being charged with high treason. So I guess it's fair to say um, that there was some sympathy for a rebel cause or um, in, in Ballarat at that time. And uh, the other thing that there was in Ballarat at that time was um, in the early 1850s when the gold rush started in, uh, in, in Victoria, uh, the previous gold rush had been, of course, uh, the, the, the 49ers. In, in California. California. Yes, so uh, what that meant, so because that, that gold rush had, had basically finished by the time the Victorian gold rush started, um, a whole lot of experienced gold, gold miners saw Victoria was the next place to be, so they were they poured in, and that meant that there was a, a very strong um, American influence um, in Ballarat, uh, both pro and um, and, and anti Southern. But at that time, and in fact, um, when we were in Ballarat um, at the weekend, um, we went a little way out of town to um, uh, early in the morning to go up the one of the fire towers out there to a lookout, where we had a wonderful lookout at a lot of uh, fog. Oh, well, it is Ballarat. It's, it's famous for its yeah. uh, cold and clammy weather. Yeah, well, I, I have to say, I was, I was kind of pleased with that because I, I am not the best with heights. So, in fact, uh, not being able to see the, the vast vistas. But anyway, on the way to the fire tower, we passed, we went down a street called Yankee Flat. So, so even 150 years later, there are you know, memorials yeah. of the, um, the, the, the visit. Now, well, the reason why we uh, yes. bring all this up is, of course, because the some officers of the crew of the Shenandoah visited Ballarat in yes. 1865 when they were when they were here visiting the colony of Victoria. Four of them went up there by train. Yes, and uh, given that uh, the city of Melbourne and, and the colony of Victoria really had only started in 1834, it, it's an example of uh, how far the colony had gone that you could actually take a train. Uh, into the into the inland only twenty something years later. 
Yeah, and look, isn't it amazing what enormous amounts of gold can do? Yeah. <laughs> and there, there truly was enormous amounts of gold. That's also evident if you go up to Ballarat today. It's it's a it's a city. It, I think it's the uh, fourth largest city in in the state of Victoria, but it has some of the grandest Victorian buildings from the Victorian period. And these were all built, of course, with the, uh, with the, the fabulous, the fabulous gold. So. Uh, they went up there to uh, to be fated by the uh, leading pillars of society, and there was a ball held there at Craig's Royal Hotel. Now, now, but before we get on to the ball, because, of course, there was a ball in 1865 and also a ball in uh, 2015, um, I might just... The, I, 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 I hadn't been to Ballarat since I was a child, I think, and I was quite astonished by the the amazing Victorian architecture there. And it's not even um, so um, the the Royal Hotel, which is which is where the ball uh, was held. Um, it was extended in the eighteen eighties, but it obviously would have been a very fine building uh, even in the eighteen fifties. Um, but the so, so the hotel is still a hotel. The the council officers are still council officers, and, and the theatre is still a theatre. So um, now we, we we posted some pictures on our on our Facebook page, but I think perhaps on our on our website we might uh, post a few pictures of the of the the architecture of, of Ballarat because it was um, was really quite beautiful. Anyway, sorry, Michael, uh, back to the ball. So they had a ball to uh, to welcome and fate the the. The offices of the Shenandoah at Craig's Royal Hotel, and to commemorate that, a ball was actually held last weekend, 150 years later, um, and we attended. Yes, yes. and uh, I'm very, very pleased that we uh, we brought our wives along as well, mm-hmm. and and they really enjoyed themselves too. One of the uh, stipulations for the ball. Uh, the one in 2015, was to come in period dress or formal attire. And uh, it was it was impressive. We, we, we went there and I was wondering how many people were going to be kitted out to look, uh, look like they were in period. And I'm pretty sure it was probably 80 or 90% of the people who attended were, were dressed in period clothing. I, I have never seen so many top hats at, at one time. Um, yes, it was. Uh, uh, yes, the, the the men all wore toppers. Uh, the ladies all wore ball gowns um, of, of various um, degrees of authenticity, but uh, all looking very fine. Um, and the ball was actually uh, held in the the. It was actually held in the room next door to the original ballroom, um, because uh, although you, you, they had a, an exhibition about the Shenandoah mounted in the original ballroom. And it's interesting, but I, I suspect um, maybe uh, people these days are a bit more, well, a bit more plus sized than these people because there, there was about the same amount attending in two thousand fifteen as there were in eighteen sixty five. There was about sixty people, but I think if we'd had to get sixty people into uh, the the original ballroom, it would uh, have been a bit of a tight squeeze. It would have been a bit of a tight squeeze, and uh, there was a uh, a band played, and uh, we did strip the willow, and what was the other one? The we did the Lancers Quadrille. The, the Lancers Quadrille. Or rather, you did the Lancers Quadrille because uh, the Lancers Quadrille is a, is a very lengthy dance. It has five measures, I believe, is the, um, 
PCs are too. Of, of increasing complication, well, I have to say. I have to say, I was somewhat glad that in the middle of the second measure, uh, a gentleman who was not me, thank God, uh, stepped on my wife's picky coat, and she had to go and... Um, uh, make emergency repairs. It was the 1865 equivalent of a uh, clothing malfunction. Clothing malfunction, yes. I believe probably two inches of her slip code for some <gasps> seconds, which, which which would have been, um, uh, yes, uh, quite shocking. So um, now, now, luckily, the the staff, the the the, the waitresses at the um, at the hotel were, were also kitted up in period dress, which was a, a, a very 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 wonderful thing for, for them to do. Um, and so because of that, they had a plentiful supply of safety pins. So they were able to, to give my wife some safety pins so she was able to repair and, um, and pin up her petticoat. Um, and that gave me time to go to the bar and have a mint julep. Well, which, which you have to have at an occasion like this. I, was, uh, I mentioned in the uh, podcast last week that I'd engaged in Operation Waistcoat. In preparation for this event, I really wanted to make sure the waistcoat that I was going to wear would fit me, and it just fit me when I went to the costume place. So I, I was on a, uh, I was on a fairly vigorous approach last week to make sure that not only would the waistcoat fit, but I could also bend, sit, and as it turned out, dance. Yes. And I was dance able to dance a quadrille. And uh, as it turned out, I could do all of those things. So I, I feel like I've accomplished what I wanted to do at. Uh, at the ball, it was a great event. The um, the Australian American Civil War Roundtable of Victoria yes, were the we, organisers. We should um, yes, uh, give a shout out to the organisers. Yes, they did a uh, fantastic job. There were speeches. Mm-hmm. There was a wonderful display about the Shenandoah in the original ballroom next door, which was a, a nice place to retire to. And I, I'm pretty sure back in 1865, you would have had the ballroom with the dancing, and there would have been other rooms in the hotel for people to go to to have drinks or to sit and retire that, or yeah, that, 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 that's play whist. So, yes, yeah, so, so the ballroom would have been just for dancing, whereas uh, these days the, the ballroom was also for, for dancing and for sitting around, standing around, talking about the Civil War, and, and a whole lot of people wandering around, including me, taking a whole lot of photographs. So, yes. Um, yes. Uh, the other thing they did in 1865 was take selfies and check Facebook uh, <laughs> throughout the evening. Yes. So we had a very enjoyable time, and uh, it was a great thing to say that uh, 150 years ago, pretty much the same thing was, was going on. An extra... Uh, Item of interest was the fact that my wife's one of my wife's ancestors was the mayor of Ballarat the year after in yeah, 1866. Yes. So it's a possibility that uh, he would have been in attendance at the ball. There is a guest list of people that went. It's we were talking to uh, the the historian from the Civil War Roundtable, Barry Crompton, who's who knows more about this than 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 probably anyone anywhere. And he said the list I don't think is absolutely complete. The The name of uh, my wife's ancestor, Thomas Davey, isn't on that list. So there's another possibility, and that is that uh, he deliberately didn't go to the ball because this was a very polarising event. Yes. Mm. You were either pro-Confederate or pro-Union, Yes. And I guess if you were pro-union, you weren't going to go to the ball. Yes, I, I think, for instance, the um, uh, 
the, the person who caused Yankee Flat Road to be named Yankee Flat, uh, I, I imagine, would, 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 would not have Yeah, been. I'm kind of guessing he's not there, yeah. So uh, one interesting difference between the ball in 1865 and the ball uh, this last weekend was the start and finish time. Uh, mm, mm. Our ball started about 7.30 and yes. wound up about midnight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what was the one back in 1865? How did they do that, Rob? Well, he started at 10pm. Uh, uh, there was dancing till 4am, uh, but the officers themselves were, were up all night because um, presumably they, they might have went on carousing, carousing afterwards. And um, uh, an explanation for why a ball would finish so late was an interesting one. I hadn't thought of this before, and that was uh, then you could go home with the rising sun mm, and mm. be able to find your way home because presumably some of the ball attendees would be quite sloshed by then. <laughs> and uh, in the absence of street lights and yes. and uh, and nice sealed roads, um, it would be handy to have the sun coming up as you were finding mm. your way home. And I believe also um, you, you would often tend to have balls at the time of the full moon again to to, to allow for this. Um, so all of all of the the, the the young people, the the children who were invited along, the the, the Miss Smiths and uh, Miss Marys, um, they they would fall asleep in a, in an ante room, and um, the 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 grown ups would would dance all night. They would literally dance all night, um, and then and then go home with the uh, with the rising sun. Um, there was another another slight difference uh, because the the actual 150th um, year anniversary would in fact have been today Tuesday um, recording day, um, but the Civil War Roundtable uh, decided that having a ball on a Tuesday was a silly idea, uh, so they went a, a couple of days early. So in fact, really, if you want to be accurate, it was the 149 and 363rd uh, day. <laughs> let's not quibble there. <laughs> let, 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 let's not quibble. Um, now the, the the ball was the the main uh, uh, main event uh, to Ballarat. Uh, it wasn't the only one, however, uh, because the the day before the ball, uh, they were taken out to see um, see the the mining. Now, by by this time, um, about ten or eleven years after the, the start of the boom, uh, all of the the servants and the the, the shipmen uh, who had who had absconded from their ships and had rushed out to the diggings to try and make their fortune and some of whom ended up being shot. Um, they, it was no longer an individual diggings. Uh, the, the, the work of the mines had been taken over by, by large mining companies, um, you know, some of whom uh, continue to, to this day. So the, the officers were taken down a shaft to a depth of four, 420 feet. Apparently this was the deepest mine in Ballarat. Yes. At the time. Now, I'm not sure. There was one that were taken down that had been... They'd, they'd been digging for 15 years and had not taken an ounce of gold out of it. So I'm thinking, why, why did they keep on going for so long? But then again, there was another one where they had just taken absolutely uh, immense. And, and also, uh, the original mining boom, um, that was alluvial gold. And in fact, um, there's a theme park just outside Ballarat called Sovereign Hill. And to this day, uh, you can go to Sovereign Hill and uh, you can, uh, there is a gentleman there who will pan for gold for you uh, for a price. And funnily enough, if you pay the price, he will almost invariably find some specks of yellow material that uh, he will assure you is gold. But I think probably for the tourists, they, they salt the pan. Yes, probably. And uh, So yes, they, they, would, they were called the diggings back in 
1854, yep. at the time of the Eureka Stockade. Um, by the time you you went in 1865, it wasn't called the diggings anymore. If you, if anything, you were going to visit the mines. Yes. And uh, my wife's ancestor, interestingly, if if he became the mayor of uh, Ballarat, he must have been a very prosperous and successful citizen. And by 1865, he actually had an engineering company. So you could also make money out of, of course, well, supplying the gold miners. Well, well that, that was a lesson that I think a lot of the Americans did learn, in that the 49ers learned, that you, you actually make your money by selling the shovels to the diggers, yes. uh, not by... Um, and, and, and so the, the other thing about... Um, uh, you, you, nobody was panning for gold anymore, although... In the in the original uh, first gold strike, you know, people were stubbing their toes on nuggets and yes. things, and and yes. that was well and truly gone by by eighteen sixty five. Oh, one last interesting thing about uh, eighteen fifty four, back when it was the diggings, there was another famous visitor to Ballarat, oh. and that was Lola Montez. Yes, who, who did the the spider dance? She was a famous uh, entertainer, courtesan. And uh, woman adventuress of the Victorian era, she had caused a uh, a, re- a revolt in Germany. She was the mistress of the King of Bavaria, mm-hmm. and she had to leave in 1848 and went on her, her adventures. And by 1854, it ended up in in Ballarat, where after the editor of the local newspaper had written uh, unkind things about her infamous spider dance. She um, horsewhipped him in the street. And I think that may have been the very street that uh, Craig's Royal Hotel well, is in. Well, well, the, 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 yes, well, the, the, the modern Ballarat Papers um, uh, is, is, in, is in that street, whether, whether that was a paper at the time. But anyway, she, she, she certainly did horsewhip him. In fact, um, Lola Montez was a woman of, of such notoriety that she even made one of the, the Harold Flashman novels um, on merit. Um, she and Harold Flashman are, um, are lovers for a very brief period until um, you know, Lola works out that she's twice a man he is. And, uh, <laughs> That's right. She, she evicts him from her bed and, and throws things at him. Um, but, the, but by 1865... Um, what you were not doing, you were not panning for gold. Although you still can to this day, there are people. There are people out on weekends to this day in uh, in country Victoria panning for gold, and some people earn a living at it. But uh, by eighteen sixty five, when you were down um, four hundred and twenty feet, uh, the gold was in the courts, and they had thirty um, the Black Hill Courts Company, and I'm getting this detail from um, Angus Curry's uh, officers of the CSS Shindoa. I'll do the traditional riffing. Um, the Black Hill Courts Company had 30 crushes, which created a din equal to that of 30,000 devils, uh, according to one of the, the officers. And the one that they went down 420 feet down, um, there was a shaft that had been worked for 15 years without any gold, but the one that they went down, shaft number two, um, yielded an average of 130 ounces of gold per day. Per day? Per day. How? You'd be tempted if you worked on that buy just to, to stuff a bit down your pockets, but I'm sure. Um, um, so um, I'll, I'll, I'll quote. Um, I'll, I'll quote one of the officers. Uh, it is the deepest alluvial gold mine in the world. We went down the shaft and saw all the operations going with one of the managers to the very spot where the digging was going on. 
They gave us oilskin suits of clothes and waterproof boots, etc., to go down in. So they presumably the the nineteenth century equivalent of the hard hat and the high vis vest. Yeah. Um, altogether, it was a most interesting visit and one that I would not have missed for a great deal. But I should never go down into another shaft. We suffered a good deal from uh, from heat. I think four hundred and twenty uh, feet down. In Ballarat, in the middle of summer, uh, you, you would suffer a great deal from the heat, uh, from the heat indeed. But I, I find it interesting that the, the sailors regarded gold mining as as harder work than, yeah. than, than they did. I'm, I have to say, when, when I when I read the accounts of uh, yeah the CSS Shenandoah, I think I, I would not have done their work for quids. It sounded like intensely hard work, but uh, they dipped their lids to to gold miners and, uh, and said that that was uh, that was harder. So by the time their visit finished and they were going back, uh, some of their uniforms had some uh, modifications, yes. shall we say? What what happened there, Rob? Well, again, this is this is uh, the, the 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 local legend of the the visit of the CSS Shenandoah to uh, to to Melbourne and to Ballarat was that um, when 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 a, when, a, when a young lady um, you know had, had had expressed some appreciation for one of the officers, she would uh, some appreciation that you can read into it exactly what you want. Um, uh, they they would be he would give her a button. Uh, one of the Confederate buttons from off his, off his uniform, and, and apparently, again, the legend goes that when the when the officers finally left left Melbourne, none of their coats were left with a single button. But um, so uh, again, quoting from uh, from Angus Curry, um, for surgeon lining, it was an opportunity to observe the attractive women of the region. Uh, Major Wallace, Major Wallace was an old India hand. Major Wallace's daughter, in particular, caught his eye. While Bullock had his flame, a young lady from Geelong, and Smith got his hand squeezed in a most tender way by some fair admirer. His hand squeezed? Um, is, is that a single a single entendre? I don't, I'm not sure. Well, uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, yes, uh, the Beatles did sing "I Want to Hold Your Hand," but that was thought to be somewhat euphemistic. Uh, I have no idea. Uh, the whole event was most pleasing to the officers. There you go. Now. Um, the next, the next day, um, Surgeon Lining was taken uh, by a Mr. New to the planned zoological gardens. Now, I'm, 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 I'm certain that um, in, in the movie, there wouldn't be the planned zoological gardens, it would be the zoological gardens and Surgeon Lining would be peed on by a koala, which is one of the, uh, one of the events that Australians lay on for foreign dignitaries um, who, are, who are visiting. Oh... Now, now, this is, while Master Bullock was introduced to prominent citizens of the town, the latter officer was rewarded by receiving a kiss from the young Geelong lady he met at the ball. Well, you see, because she was a, a lady from Geelong, she could, she could behave in a fast manner like that. But because uh, you know, she would think that no word would get back to her to her family in Geelong. But here we are, hundred and fifty years later. Yes. Can I just say, young, young lady from Geelong, you hustle. <laughs> My goodness! What a, what a way to behave. Um, now, so so, uh, so Miss Master Bullock uh, got a kiss, and uh, after dinner, the officers returned by train to Melbourne, uh, a four-hour journey. I don't know that the Victorian Railways does all that much better now. <laughs> no, actually, they do. You can probably do it in three and three-quarter hours now. Um, arriving late on the evening of eleventh February, so. Um, 
Today's the 10th. Okay, so, so they, they, 150 years ago today, they, they would still have been um, in Ballarat and tomorrow. Now, that, that wasn't the... Uh, I, I think, from a social point of view, the, um, the visit to Ballarat was uh, a, a great success. Um, the dinner at the Melbourne Club, I think, was, was, was also a great success. Though, of course, uh, criticised in certain parts of the press, as we discussed last week. But uh, there, there were, some, um, again, some other very, very interesting visits. Um, for instance, now, Midshipman Mason... Um, Lieutenant Lee, again, sorry, I'm, I'm quoting from uh, Angus Curry again here. Um, Lieutenant Lee and Midshipman Mason were invited by the hanging, quotation marks, Dr. Barker. I, I've heard of a hanging judge, but I've never <laughs> heard hanging of a hanging doctor. doctor. I, I, I think that will have to be a, an additions amendments uh, because I, we're going to have to work out exactly why Dr. Barker was, 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 was a, hanging, uh, a hanging doctor. Uh, anyway, they were invited by the hanging Dr. Barker to tour the asylum where he worked. Lieutenant Waddell was also invited, but could not attend to the relief of his subordinates. I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm with Captain Waddell on that. Um, yeah, if, if, but that was back in, back in the Victorian age. To go and visit a lunatic asylum was considered to be something of entertainment, though, wasn't it? Yeah, although I think, I think visits to Bedlam, which is what you would do, but I think that was more of an, of an 18th century thing. But I, I've, actually re- I've, I've actually read about this particular visit, and it didn't mention that he was the hanging doctor. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not really sure where that went into. But in fact, this was a visit to show them how nicely they looked mm, after mm, the, yeah, yeah. the lunatics and the convalescents. This was... Uh, he, he was showing off... The fact that uh, Melbourne was a very advanced and uh, forward-thinking city, and it had made provision in in wonderful ways, and well, and I believe the doctor, uh, Doctor Lining, was impressed by well, what he um, saw. Well, yeah, whereas uh, in, a, in a visit to Bedlam in the eighteenth century, you would basically have made fun of the um, the, the poor unfortunate. So, um, okay, uh, the southerners were impressed by what they saw. Um, the institution, instead of being one immense building, as we generally see at home, it consisted of little cottages built of stone, each being separated from the others by a nice little flower or vegetable garden, which the harmless patients were made to cultivate under the guidance of one of the... Of the hanging doctor, presumably. Of the hanging doctors, yes. Um, now, some individual cases they found particularly fascinating... One patient thought she was the empress of the colony or its queen, depending on the day. That, that must mean, incidentally, that, that at this time, Queen Victoria was not, in fact, Empress Victoria, because later on she would have been both queen and, and empress. Absolutely, yes. Yep. Um, another patient, an old man who seemed almost sane, showed the officers his passable collection of paintings uh, and his plant collection, the man claimed to have travelled in the United States and expressed his sympathy for the southern cause. Um, he also had a strange whistling sound in his throat, which was because he had a, a hole in his throat where he had uh, tried to cut his throat um, some, some yeah. time before. So I, I think, um, uh, yes. Um, so they, they had a, a fascinating time in Melbourne. Visited the local asylum, went to a ball, visited the Melbourne club... But, and I think we, we need to do some dum-dum-dum-dum portentous foreshadowing. Uh, yes, while all of this is going mm-hmm. on, there are things happening 
in the background, and I, I guess you could say in the foreground, because this is a big issue, and that is the fact that a, a warship had visited a neutral port, yep. and we had the government of Victoria, the governor of Victoria, Governor Darling, and uh, the American consul all frantically trying to uh, achieve their own ends. The American consul, of course, wanted the ship impounded. Mm. The governor wasn't really sure what he was going to do. He What he wanted to do was make sure that Britain wasn't uh, inveigled into the civil war or cause a diplomatic incident. So, to be frank, I think what Governor Darling wanted to do was hide under his desk with his fingers <laughs> in his ears saying, no, 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 I can't hear you, I can't hear you. But, but he didn't have that choice, unfortunately. And, of course, Captain Waddell wanted to do two things. One is he wanted to recruit more crew... And the other is he needed desperately to get his ship repaired. And we'd mentioned earlier that uh, they'd discovered a tremendous problem with the propeller. Mm. And about the same time that the ball is going on, a couple of days earlier, um, they'd eventually come to the conclusion that uh, to repair the ship was going to have to require it going into a dry dock. Mm. And, of course... Once you put a ship in a dry dock, it isn't going anywhere anytime soon. You can't run away, which if, hit, you're trying to subordinate the citizens of a foreign nation to serve with you, which is something that might get yourself arrested. Uh, one of the things which we're going into next week is, uh, you might have noticed that in all this discussion of the various social events uh, that the Shenandoah officers went to, Executive Officer Whittle is is noticeably absent as being to any of them. And he was doing whatever it was to lead him to remove 32 pages of his journal. So uh, Yes. Uh, now, there were results to what he was doing, and um, uh, one of the results' name was Charlie, and we'll be going into uh, another very special episode next week where the troops of Victoria are called out against the Shenandoah. So um, that will be... Yes, as as close as as it could come to actually having the British Empire uh, joining the war in one way or another, you could you could almost say. You could almost say. Yeah. Well, well, we'll look forward to discussing uh, that next week. That will, that will be next week. And now, now I must uh, I must give before we go, and I think Michael should do a, a shout out to my uh, wonderful wife Barbara, who who actually put together her own outfit and made her own bonnet and. Um, in my mind, she was a belle of the ball, although you know, in her own characterisation, she was a Ballarat good time girl. But, uh, <laughs> yes, uh... Yeah, it was very impressive. She she even had got her old wedding dress out to uh, yes. to turn it into this ball gown. I believe confetti fell out when she got it out of the box. Obviously, confetti just lasts forever. You know, in three hundred years, archaeologists will, will be digging up our civilization, and they'll they'll, they'll find confetti. Um, and I think my wife pretty much resembled Scarlett O'Hara. She didn't make her dress out of the curtains like uh, Scarlett did yeah. in Gone with the Wind. We instead went to a uh, very, very good uh, costume hire place. I'm going to give them a shout-out too. Yes, we went yes, to Rose Chong in uh, in Fitzroy. It was absolutely excellent. But uh, my wife looked uh, indescribably glamorous, I thought, well. as, uh, as, as Scarlett, and uh, we enjoyed dancing the night away. Well, dancing the night away till midnight. But um, anyway, look, look we, I, we could go on about this for, for a whole lot longer, but... Uh, We'll wind up at this point and we'll say this has been a Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirate Save the Whale with Rob and Mob. I'm Rob. And I'm Mob. And 
Goodbye for now. Tally ho. Ahoy.